Welcome to a couple of Rad Techs podcasts where we bring you an inside look at the world of radiology from the unique perspective of a married couple of radiologic technologists. Together, we have years of experience, exactly 30 years in the field, and we are here to demystify the science of medical imaging. Radiology is the unsung hero of the medical field, providing doctors with crucial images and information that help diagnose and treat illnesses. Join us as we explore the latest techniques, technologies, and innovations in radiology and discover the vital role we play in the healthcare industry. So come along for the ride as we share our passion for radiology as a married couple. So welcome everyone to our Let's Chit Chat podcast, Wellness and Travel. I am Chandria Singleton, your certified health coach and a radiologic technologist. But today we have an amazing guest as always, Dr. Deborah Shapiro. She is a board certified obstetrician, gynecologist. She's also a certified lifestyle medicine physician, health coach, She helps you gain energy, lose excess weight, reverse chronic disease, and get off burdensome medications. We are so happy to have you, Dr. Shapiro, on our Conversations with Doctors segment. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea. I'm so excited to talk with you. We got to speak once, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Yep. You are welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Let's get right into the conversation, because these conversations with doctors, I feel, are so needed Many people feel, you know, well, my doctor just wants to give me medicine or I have to live with this because it's genetic. And when it comes to obstetrics and gynecology, I mean, that's that's something, you know, it's kind of like the prostate with men. They don't really talk about that. Even gynecology and obstetrics growing up, you know, it really wasn't something that was talked about. I meet women all the time in their 30s who have not been to the gynecologist until they have a baby. Yeah, I, I I know people that have not. It's kind of like you meet people that don't go to the dentist until they need a tooth pull. They've never been for their cleanings. They've never been for their just maintenance, you know, of their their periodontal, you know, their tooth health. Well, it's true. People are afraid, and I know they're really afraid of dentists. But I I hadn't I hadn't run into too much of what you're speaking about that people are avoiding the gynecologist. I like to think that we're all about prevention. You know, especially, you know, cervical cancer seems so huge and breast cancer prevention. And Yeah, the other thing I run into is people don't go until they become sexually active. And so, yeah. This is interesting because in the old, the old days, back in the day, because I'm already, you know, over 61. But in the back in back in the day, we were seeing children, we were seeing young kids routinely. We were even doing pap smears. I remember when I first started out, I think the, the rule was three years after first sexual debut or about 17. I mean, I certainly first went, I mean, a lot of women, young, young women go to a gynecologist when they are going to be sexually active because they want birth control. Right. That drove me. But later we were realizing that we were finding so many young women with some irregularities of their pap smear and then doing procedures on them. And so as we learn more and more about the natural history of the human papillomavirus, we realized that we actually could like put the brake on that and we didn't have to be so aggressive with these young kids because quite often you'd get infected with it, but then you would fight it off because your immune system mm-hmm. was so strong. So, I mean, I, boy, I mean, we did procedures. We, we removed parts of services of very young, young women. It was, it's terrible, but that was what we did back right. in the 90s. But now we don't, we don't recommend pap smear start until 21. So it's a big change, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to the gynecologist because we have so much information and 
I mean, I know the birth rate is down right now. And certainly with, with the pandemic, everyone's really thinking hard about whether it's the right time to be pregnant or to start a family. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. But you're, hopefully your gynecologist and your, your obstetrician can really help you to think about how to best prepare for a pregnancy because it's all about preventing disease. It's very hard to reverse disease. We can do it, but it takes big changes. You know, if you're going to reverse heart disease, we know it can be done, but it's, it's a low, super low fat plant-based hundred percent diet with, you know, exercise and stress reduction. And, you know, what Dr. Dean Ornish showed, but if we could help prevent heart disease from day one, um, that would be so much better. And then you could just have your, you could just have these healthy habits built into you from the moment you arrive on the scene. And so helping women this is a huge part of what I believe in is really helping women to, to get as healthy as possible before they conceive so that the baby, the embryo and the, and the fetus will be developing inside of an extremely healthy uterus and will come out with just the, the strongest genetic, genetic material possible. Well, I love that. I love that you you said that because advances are made. You said the big P, prevention, getting the body strong enough to have a healthy baby. And I think we skip that part sometimes, you know, and sometimes we don't know what healthy is. And I love the picture behind you because that's where our conversation is going. Plants, 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 real food. <laughs> and, you know, this is beautiful. We have a, a doctor you know, and I, I speak to many doctors that really, really encourage their patients to look at a more plant-based. It's not saying you have to be vegan or you have to be vegetarian or any of those other things, but to just incorporate healthier lifestyles and eating into, you know, your your diet is amazing. So I enjoy talking to doctors about exactly what's behind you, plants, and helping people to incorporate that into their lifestyle. Now, let me ask you, what made you look at going from obstetrician gynecology over to a health coach? <laughs> that is a good question. I think it was partly because my life changed. I had a practice, a private practice. It's sort of a sad story too. I had a, which I will bear my soul and tell you, but I had, and this happens to people, right? And it often happens to doctors, but I had a private practice for 22 years, which was very successful, but I was embezzled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I lost it and I loved my practice and I got to be the kind of doctor that I wanted to be. And at that time I was trying to help the hospital to become more sort of more interested in plant-based nutrition. And I gave, I had a conference there and I brought in speakers and it was really fabulous, but I was embezzled. So, but you know, it's all right. Right. As they say, it's all good. And I, I evolved out of that. Sometimes bad things happen, but it's okay. So all is forgiven, but I had to get a job. So I went to Kaiser Uh and I don't know if you have Kaiser in Atlanta. Yeah. I actually am one of their contractors. (laughs) I I have to say I'm not made for Kaiser. Right. Kaiser was every 15 minutes and I saw P and they have coaches. So that's fabulous. I mean, you you have time obviously to do everything, but it's very quick. And I didn't get to have the connection I didn't get to make the connection with patients that I had made in my private practice. I didn't enjoy it as much. And, and labor and delivery also, I didn't have, you know, the nurses I had, it was all different. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I felt, wow, let me just tell you about how patients, what I saw in terms of patients getting sicker and sicker 
the population that I saw at Kaiser were, I would say, so there was a large population of people from the Philippines because mm-hmm. it was in the city and lovely, 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 lovely people. But a traditional diet from the right. city in the Philippines is fried meat and rice. And I'm, I'm, it's just the way it is, right? Yeah. And so when I saw women over 50, almost over 40, but in, by the time they hit 50, they were on about five different medications at least. It was horrifying. And one after the other, after the other. And when I would mention and, and reflux and, you know, we went on and on and on and they were obese and I didn't really have, so they were, and when you asked them, they said, yes, I know I eat too much rice. And I would say, no, I really think it's the, it's really the fried meat, not the rice that's causing the problem. And that was really a hard sell for people. And it's just so ingrained that that's what they were eating. And I, anyway, I, I couldn't really help. And I, and it frustrated me. I didn't have the skills to coach people because you can't, so it's very different to be a doctor, and I am a doctor still because I never right. work at Chicken So being a doctor, you get to just sort of tell people what to do. But being a coach is helping people to discover what they want to do. And I love that. So I learned about coaching. And, I, and where I work now, uh, mo- a lot of the providers are already practicing lifestyle medicine, the company that oversees this clinic and many other clinics around the country, probably around the, in the world, premise. They're all about lifestyle medicine. They embrace lifestyle medicine and that's what we promote. And a whole coaching, there's a whole coaching atmosphere, even for me. And I get to spend an hour with a patient. Wow. I know you'd love that. I mean, and I love that you talk about that because as a coach, me going from radiology to health coaching, I'm so used to caring for patients. And like you say, you know, we tell patients, you know, this is what you need to do. And it was a whole different change for me as a coach because you don't, you have to switch that off because it sometimes switches back on when I go to coaching, you know, because I've been doing this for 20 years and my patients usually listen to me, <laughs> you know, so in coaching, you don't always get that. But I do want to touch on, you know, when we talk about different eating habits of different people, that's one thing you run into when you have different cultures of people. Um, I was just having a client from a more Indian descent talk conversation with her and she and her husband were getting coached and you know they eat a lot of rice and he had a question about you know about something on the rice and it's so funny my husband has more of an African descent and they eat a lot of rice you know uh, the part of South Carolina that he's from and I never thought about how much rice I ate growing up but when I grew up rice was with every dish it was one of the main staples, you know, so when, and when I talk to other friends who don't have that cultural background that they rarely had rice, rice really wasn't like the main thing in their dish. It helped me to understand, you know, what people really need and it's going to be different for everyone, but you can't go wrong with plants. You know, everybody needs more plants, you know, and that's where I like to encourage people, you know, looking at not what you can't eat, but the things that we aren't eating, but that we need to eat more of. And I think across the line, no matter what culture we come from, most of us do not eat the amount of plants that we need to on a daily basis. Oh my goodness, no. I mean, one of the things I get to do at Genentech is to ask people, we go through a whole series of questions about lifestyle. We talk about stress, we talk about exercise, we talk about sleep, we talk about water, we talk about all of this. And in addition, we talk about food very specifically. How many servings of fruit do you have a day? And I talk about fruit is, you know, one medium fruit or or a cup of cut up fruit or about dried fruit. And, And how many servings of vegetables? And we talk about what a serving is, you know, raw cup, half a cup cooked. And then how many of those servings 
or green leafy vegetables. Right. Specific. And you'd be surprised at how many people, they have no fruit and maybe one or two servings of vegetables a day. It's really, really sad. And then if you ask them, well, what do you eat? Then it's just, you know, it's this idea of, well, I eat a protein, right? I eat protein, yeah. animal protein. I eat protein and, you know, and, and rice or, or, right? Usually it's rice. When which I started be becoming... Which would be fine if it was a brown or black rice. Right. Whole, not refined, where they've taken away the bran and the germ and you're left with just the endosperm, just the starch. I'm not against rice. Right. Other than the issue also with, uh, with arsenic. I mean, That's- really problems with with rice but there are a lot of alternatives grains and green i'm not anti-grain yeah yeah that's it's amazing i find the power of helping my clients to eat more plants especially those culturally that just do not grow up eating plants like that you know some cultures grow up you know you you eat your greens but they're cooked to death you know you, you it's rare that most of us eat raw you know or close to raw vegetables you know i i got this killer kale salad and people are like, oh, that's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, kale salad is pretty basic, but it's so brand new to a lot of people. So I want to wonder what is your methodology for really like connecting with people? Because we talked about as a doctor, you know, you're so used to seeing people suffering, people from gynecological, you know, issues. That's just a whole nother practice of medicine. I mean, you've seen a lot. And so you go from that, which you still practice. But you go from that as far as with your patients and what you've seen, and you know what the body goes through when we don't take care of it, you know, especially from a reproductive standpoint. And I, do, I just think about fibroids. I think about, you know, because that is very prevalent in my family, fibroids. And I noticed when I went to a more plant-based diet, that totally changed. Like I still have it, but it's almost like it doesn't exist. How in your medical practice and health coaching, can we talk on fibroids and plant-based diet a little? Yes. Well, actually, ah, your your story is remarkable. I have definitely had experience with people having an amazing reduction in their blood flow with re- getting off of dairy. I've helped people specifically. They came to me. They said, this bleeding is killing me. I need to go on birth control pills. I, I mean, I also suffered tremendously. Of course, I didn't know that I could right. just get off of dairy. But <laughs> now that I do know, I've been telling my patients and- you know, it's day and night, it's day and night, they get off of dairy, and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, my periods are so much better. You know, whether, you know, they have the beginning of fibroids, and those fibroids are shrinking, or polyps are going away, I mean, I, I don't, I don't always know, because you can ask, I don't know, because I haven't measured, but I do know that Neil Barnard published a book called Your Body in Balance, where he has actually talked to women who fibroids have receded, and it makes sense if you stop feeding them all this estrogen, fibroids grow on estrogen. What's interesting also is though, is that we ingest endocrine disrupting chemicals. And sometimes we don't even mean to, because we're in the womb. Right. Our <laughs> moms are ingesting these endocrine disrupting chemicals and they're coming through to us. And, and that actually makes it more likely for us to develop things like endometriosis and fibroids. Mm. So, you know, some of it, you know, we think, well, it's, you know, it's more, you know, it's more in certain cultures or more ethnicities. You know, my mom had fibroids, my wife had fibroids, her sister had fibroids, my cousin had fibroids. I mean, fibroids are all over. Yes. It's the most common reason for people, for women to have hysterectomies. My mom had hysterectomies, but we're learning more and more. Certainly it's fed by estrogen and there's estrogen in meat and dairy. What about sugar? Does sugar feed fibroids? No? No. Okay. I didn't know. No, not that I'm aware of at all. I mean, sugar is, is a, 
what all of our cells run on. Uh. People like to say, well, cancer uses, but it doesn't any more than any other cell. Actually, cancers feed on something called methionine. It's a kind of branch chain amino acid, I, I believe. And so reducing things like that, reducing methionine, which also is reducing animal products because it's higher in animal products. Wow. I did. That's amazing. I've never heard of that. Insulin-like growth factor one, IGF-1, which is increased in animal, when you eat animal protein, that makes things grow. Tumors, fibroids, anything would also, that would also make. Feeling like a popsicle in the hospital? Well, ditch the hospital chills. Scrubmates, a base layer designed by a healthcare professional, understands the struggles of staying warm. Keep yourself toasty and your valuables secure with convenient zipper pockets. Support a small female-owned business and try Scrubmates today. You'll get 15% off your order using my code, RADTEXT, at checkout. Thanks, Scrubmates, for bringing us this episode of A Couple of Rad Text Podcasts. Now let's get into the episode. Well, I love that you talked about different women that over your course of time that you've seen, because I remember starting in radiology back in 2001, 2000, and I I pretty much saw one culture of women with fibroids. And then I started working for one of the top doctors in Atlanta and doing all of her MRIs. She started the fibro, um, the, uh, I I don't want to, I forget what the term that they use for it, where they basically cauterize, cauterize the air, but the fibroids will find new bloodstreams to get back, new ways to get back. And the thing eventually would just grow back, you know, grow new arms as they would call it. But one thing I noticed working oh, with her. Embolization? Embolization. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she was pioneering that when it first started here and she was one of the top doctors. And then we had the same last name. So that was great. <laughs> but she was amazing. She really tried to do everything not to do a hysterectomy for women. But my point is when I worked for her. It opened my eyes that this was just not a one culture problem. This was all types of women. I mean, from every culture. So it had to be the diet because they were all Western food eater, you know, Western diet food eaters. So, you know, I I love how you broke down all of those different things that are all traced back to meat. And animal and these endocrine disrupting chemicals also. Yes. So a lot of this is done behind the scenes before you even, it can be determined sort of self-determined before you even are born, whether you're more likely to get fibroids and, you know, genetically from inherited, but also from chemical exposure. So that makes a lot of sense. So when people say, oh, my mom had fibroids, my grandma had fibroids, they probably did because like you said, the things that we ingest while we're in the womb. So it's just passed down. It can be. And then it's also probably also there's a genetic component for sure. The same with endometriosis. I mean, they find because they do those twin studies and and they feel like it's the other. We were talking before about people from from Southeast Asia or India specifically, where they ingest a lot of ghee. They mm-hmm. really I mean, I talk to people who feel like eating ghee is is important. So spiritually, it's an important food. The problem with ghee is it's clarified better. It's oxidized cholesterol. So it's the worst thing you could actually put in your body. I've and never I've eaten it. I no. Well, we might we might have before when you had when you went out for Indian food because they would. Oh been, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I make it now myself. Yeah, no, I've never. I see it in the stores, but I've never been interested in buying it. No, it's oxidized cholesterol. You should stay away. I mean, it's really terrible stuff. So, uh, but I've had patients, a lot of patients from India who have PCOS. 
polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a, an endocrine, just sort of a dysfunction where they're not ovulating regularly. And people really only have a couple of periods a year and they're infertile. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're often he- heavy and they might have some excess hair growth and, and acne, sort of signs of androgen excess. And one of the things that we notice about women who have PCOS is that something in their blood called advanced glycation end products, AGEs, is much higher in these women than in women who don't have PCOS. And AGEs are more in animal products and in things like, well, the, the high, you can actually look online, there's a whole table of AGEs, advanced glycation end products. You can think of them as aging you in a way also, but so they're highest in things like a fried meat, like a bacon or a sausage, and they're lowest in orange juice. <laughs> and wow. So we tell people to reduce their AGEs and, and they improve. So a plant-based diet with really low AGEs, um, even things like if you're going to eat nuts and seeds, don't have them roasted. Anything mm. that's cooked at high temperature is going to have higher AGEs. So you get them on a plant-based diet and their PCOS goes away and their weight comes down so fast. And it's really a beautiful thing to see that disease can be reversed. So I have to rever- well, you have too. We both, as coaches and as doctors, but the medical professionals, we've seen disease reversal. And yes. it's extraordinary. It's, it feels so good. I, my, my business partner is a 70-year-old retired nurse. And she's like, I just got tired of seeing people sick and dying. I had to do something, a career change to where I see people enjoy living. And she's her tagline is, I want them to feel and look as good as me at 70 years old. You know, and that is something to say. And I do want to go ahead. I, this conversation is so great. I, I got to have you back because you are a wealth of knowledge and you are full of just so much. I mean, from your medical professional, but also to what you're doing in health coaching is to be commended and just, you know, all that you have to share. But I do want to talk lastly about the reversing chronic disease, because I just had an event on Sunday, had an amazing doctor on as well, speaking about diabetes. And I ran a couple stories to get kind of my audience's idea of how many people knew someone with diabetes or they had diabetes. Overwhelmingly, most people knew someone and a good number of them had it themselves and some of their children had type two diabetes and then some had type one. And there are very few that said they knew no one with diabetes, which shocked me. Um, you know, there is only like two people that said it, but you know, chronic disease, people just get it. And sometimes they say, well, I'm just, this is what it's going to be. I'm going to live with it and just keep, but how do you help with reversal of chronic diseases? Which ones, what are some simple things people can do to kind of get on that path? Because it's nothing overnight. You know, it took a while to get where you are. It's going to take a while to reverse it. Well, let me first say that, that when you, it's so sad that you, you mentioned about diabetes. My mom had diabetes and I guess it came pretty soon after I was born. Uh, so her whole life was su- so much suffering. And the things that I remember, this was part of my journey of why I even went plant-based was because she died so young. She died, she got a brain tumor at 54, partly because remember we were talking about insulin-like growth Mm -hmm. factor one, IGF-1? Well, uh, insulin-like growth factor one is insulin-like. So when you take insulin, when you have terrible diabetes that is not responding to diet, because you're not on the right diet, honestly, right. because we were feeding her the wrong right. all the time. Then she just got more and more brittle and just needed more and more insulin. So she was ending up taking insulin sort of three times a day. She And of course that, so she ended up with a brain tumor and she died very young at 55. And so when I got to be in my early fifties, that's when I really started to think about my health very seriously. Mm-hmm. So diabetes can often be reversed. Now, again, 
it's better not to develop it. Right. But I want people to understand what, what causes diabetes. And it's not, if I, if you, if you get into a group of people and you say, okay, you have diabetes, what do you think is the cause? Is it the carbohydrates or the protein or the fat? 90% I'm sure is going to say it's the carbohydrates, right? Everyone thinks diabetes is a disease of carbohydrates. It's right. because I eat too much sugar or I eat too much, too many carbs. It's all about carbs. Right. Yeah, that's not true. And we really know it from a lot of studies going way back into the 20s, actually, uh, the last 20s, 1920s, that it's the fat. So mm-hmm. if you take a muscle, so if you look at a muscle cell, which is going to be using energy and it needs, it needs the glucose to get into the cell and it needs, right. it needs insulin to open up these channels in the membrane to let glucose come into the cell so that the muscle can contract. If you have fat inside of the muscle cell, it's called intramyocellular lipid. This is either the fat you wear on your body or the fat that you take in your mouth. That fat inside the muscle interferes with the insulin receptor, almost like putting gum in a lock. You can imagine the fat is gumming up the lock. So the insulin cannot sit in the receptor. It actually can sit in the receptor, but it can't turn on the little enzymatic processes to open those channels. So what happens, the glucose ends up in the blood and builds up in the blood and you have high glucose and it goes back to the liver and it finally goes back even to the pancreas and can eventually destroy the insulin producing cells. And then you actually need to take insulin. So the treatments of course can be completely reduce your carbohydrates because if you would completely reduce your carbohydrates, you're kind of masking it. Right. think that, well, I need less insulin or I, you know, I'm doing fine, but, or my, you know, my glucoses are in control because I'm not having any, but it's very hard to live that way. And it would be much, and you're still having all this inflammation in your body because if you're eating animal products and animal protein with all that fat, you're still, you're doing, you're clogging up your blood vessels. I mean, there's so many other things that are going on. You're destroying your kidneys and we go on and on. We're increasing to Alzheimer's. And, it's so just so many things. Yeah. You're masking the diabetes, but if you go on a plant-based diet, a low-fat plant-based diet, then you actually lower, you get rid of that intramyocellular lipids and your insulin sensitivity increases. And you can actually show that diabetes is reversed. Wow. Type one diabetes, you can have insulin resistance. So that's what it's called. When, when the fat is, is interfering with the insulin receptor, it's called insulin resistance. So even if you have type one, where you actually need to take insulin because you don't have any of those islet cells of islets of right. and you're not making you're not making insulin. You can still on top of that have some insulin resistance and you can reduce that. It's so, all about making simple changes and adding more plants to absolutely. we all that's why I say, you know, it goes back to our conversation. I, a lot of times, you know, when my clients ask me, well, if I have this particular disease, what do I need to do? Eat more plants. Uh-huh. If I have this particular, what, what should I do? Eat more plants. You know, how many it always goes back to how much water are you drinking? How many plants do you eat a day? How much fiber do you get? You know. And people worry, like you said, a lot about protein, carbs. Rarely do you hear the question, how many plants do you eat? Or people can tell you how many almost raw plants that they can eat. Now, we can cook all our stuff to death. But again, all of those, that great information you gave us. So really helping people to have simple solutions to do things that they can actually continue doing. That is, you know, my goal for this broadcast and this podcast is for people to hear from professionals how they help you incorporate these things in a simple way and a way that you can actually do on a regular basis, a continuous basis. Well, that, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we really haven't talked about the, the ways that people can start these habit changes because that's what 
that's what coaches really do, right? We're the masters of habit change and why I call my business a new view of food because it is sort of taking a new view of food. I was a foodie. I grew up on terrible food, like my mom, of course, obviously, all processed, cheese whiz, cool whip, right. tarts. I mean, just spam, the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, not a healthy diet, but I changed. And when I changed, a lot of great things happened, not just with the numbers, but also with how I felt. I was starting to walk down the stairs in the morning with everything hurting. Yes. And that completely changed. Now I get up in the morning, and I can trot down the stairs like, you know, like I used to when I was 20. So big, big changes like that. And I think when people start to eat differently and look at food differently and realize that they're feeling better and they're getting down off their medications. It's a huge, it's huge. It is huge. They're ready to jump on the next thing smoking. They are like, I feel so good. I can do this. They, it bolsters a belief in them. I have loved this conversation so much. We've got to do a part two and let's help the audience to see, you know, the simple solutions of how, we help and the, you know how we help our clients to actually put this into practice we've given them the reasons why and the simple things let's give them the how next time you yeah, know let's I'd love to talk to you about that i'd love to hear what your experiences have been and how you yes and let's let's do this uh let's get something so we're going to come back for a part to you guys because you know we like to keep these to 20 minutes because we want you guys to be able to enjoy them. And if you're like me and live in a traffic field area, it's about 20 minutes sometimes to your next destination. So we want to make sure you get to hear this whole thing. And the next part two is going to be amazing. So you don't want to miss Dr. Shapiro and myself discuss the how, the simple steps to how you can do this and anybody can do this. So thank you so much, Dr. Shapiro. Can you please tell our audience where they can find you a website and if you have any programs that are going on now? Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to come back and speak with you again. And it's been really fun. So my website is www.anewviewoffood.com. And we have another, we have another coaching program for women who are specifically trying to conceive or having difficulty conceiving or thinking about reversing disease so they can have a healthier pregnancy. It's called the Pregnancy Advantage. And that's www.pregnancyadvantage.net. And we're coming up with a summit. There's going to be a Pregnancy Advantage Fertility Summit, and that'll be in May. So and you can subscribe to my newsletter and get, the, there's also a way to get the, the three, the top three things that you can do to improve your fertility right now. So, so check the, those websites if you're interested. We cannot wait. And again, thank you so much. You guys reach out to Dr. Shapiro at the bottom of the screen. You'll see everything, all the websites and all the links scrolling across the bottom. And in the caption of, if you're listening to this, in the podcast, you can click on those links or you can go ahead and listen to them and type them in. Or if you are watching it live, please click the captions inside of there and you can go right to her website. My name again is Chandria Singleton. I'm with the podcast, Let's Chit Chat, Wellness and Travel. This is our conversations with doctors today. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. This is just one of the many free resources I offer to my clients to dump unhealthy habits and begin living. Be sure to visit my website for more free resources and health coaching. Again, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with others so they can join the Let's Chit Chat podcast. Have a great day, you guys. See you next episode.